Well, keep your Bibles open to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking into John chapters 14 through 16 for our time in God's Word together on this Lord's Day. I love teaching. Most of the time, I focus on instruction. However, the job of a minister is not just to teach, but also to shepherd. And I would like to focus more on the shepherding aspect together with you this morning because our church has experienced a grief like no other since my time here. And it comes at a time where we also have other griefs that we are dealing with as a family of God. And that is very often the case, that griefs come in packs and we get bad news and another jolt of bad news as Satan tries to tempt us as he did Job with disaster upon disaster. So my attention was turned this week to John chapters 14 through 16, where we have the final words of the Lord Jesus Christ to us as his family before he left us. And I don't like to say that he left us because though his body is not here with us, his spirit is with us. And that's what these chapters are all about here in John 14 through 16. It's the comfort that our great shepherd gives to us in his bodily absence. And yet, where two or three are gathered in his name, there Jesus is in the midst. And Jesus is here today. The last words that Jesus left us here in John 14 through 16 are filled with great comfort and are the words of your pastor, your shepherd. And I want our attention and and focus to be on the words of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. Turn then to John chapter 16 and verse 33. The final verse in these three chapters, as John often does at the end of his section, he tells us, why it is that he has written all of this. And he learned this from the Lord Jesus Christ, who does that for us here. After completing the upper room discourse, Jesus ends with this purpose statement. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that is chapter 14, 15, and 16, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How pregnant those words are with meaning for us this morning. What is the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ for us? What is his word to us on this day as we hear from the good shepherd who is present among us? Peace. That's what Jesus Christ speaks to us. Turn back to the first verse here in this section, John chapter 14, verse 1. Listen to what Jesus Christ says at the beginning of this discourse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled, that can sound upon a first hearing unsympathetic for those who are troubled in heart. But let me assure you that Jesus is the most sympathetic soul that has ever existed. As we sang earlier, he is all compassion, pure and unbounded love. And so if he tells us, let not your hearts be troubled, then let me assure you that the man of sorrows does not offer 
superficial healing for deep wounds. What does it mean for Jesus to tell us to not allow our hearts to be troubled? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you should never feel troubled in your heart at all. If that's what you heard when you first heard me read it, let me take that concern away from you. Jesus is not telling you that you can't be troubled, ever. Jesus himself experienced great trouble in his heart. I'll remind you of what Jesus Christ said to his disciples just a few hours after he told them to not let their hearts be troubled. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. It's not wrong to be sorrowful. It's not wrong to be grieved. It's not wrong to be troubled. But there is a wrong way to be sorrowful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we are instructed by the Apostle Paul that we may grieve, but that we are not to grieve as others do who have no hope. That word hope, one of the most beautiful words in the English language, it's a word that God gives to us alongside of this word peace. And it's not just a word, but what it represents in the human heart. You see, the human heart is wide and deep, and it's able to hold various emotions at the same time, at the same time that the Lord Jesus Christ could be grieved and sorrowful even to the point of death, at the same time he could have within his heart hope. There is room for both. And that's the way that God wants us to experience sorrow and grief. Not only does Jesus Christ speak peace to our troubled hearts, he also speaks further in chapter 15, verse 11, once again, he tells us a purpose statement in the midst. And for what he's just said here in the first 10 verses of chapter 15, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus Christ had joy in his heart throughout his whole life, and yet, he was also a man who wept. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as the Scripture says. And there is room within the human heart for both joy and sorrow mixed together. That's what it means when Jesus says peace and joy. He doesn't mean only peace. He doesn't mean only joy. But he means that at the deepest level, at the core of our identity, he desires for us as his family to have a peace and a joy that nothing and no one can take away from us. In this world, we will be troubled, but be of good cheer. The question that then arises in my mind as I think through this is how? Jesus tells us to not let our hearts be troubled. Jesus tells us that he wants there to be joy in our hearts. And, and the question is, how is that possible? Well, turn with me to chapter 14, verse 28. 
In verse 27, Jesus reiterates the peace that he is leaving with us. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, reiterating his opening command. Notice what he says in verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You see, while the disciples were sorrowful that the perfect man, the man who had instructed them, the man who had been their example, the man who had been their hero, the man whom they had followed for years, the one in whom was their hope for their nation and for the world, that he was going to die and be taken away from them. And they were overcome with sorrow at that news. But Jesus said, if you love me, you would be happy for me. And so there is a joy that we experience even when we lose a loved one, when that loved one is in the Lord and in Christ. And we can be happy for that person that he is with Jesus Christ. He's with the Father. Love creates joy. And God brings us that joy. But you have to believe because you can't see it. You can't see your loved one departed with the Father. You have to believe that what God has said is true. When it seems like it's impossible to rejoice, when it seems like it's impossible to have peace, remember, all things are possible for him who believes. That's what Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. What do we need? We need more faith. We need faith in God's Word, and that is powerful. Turn once again to John chapter 17, verse 3. Our good shepherd speaks to our hearts today and tells you, I want you to have peace. I want you to have joy. Doesn't mean you can't have sorrow. Doesn't mean you can't have grief. But in the midst of those, I want you to experience my peace and my joy. And he tells us how to do this in these chapters through relationships. Life, peace, joy, hope, it's found in relationships. And to show that to you in the text, I want you to focus again on John chapter 17, verse 3. Look at what Christ says there in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life. That is what Jesus came to bring. That is the gospel. What is eternal life? Eternal life isn't physical life that continues on forever. For we've seen throughout history that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, their bodies still died. James died. John died. Paul died. Their bodies did. But Paul was able to say confidently, 
that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so for every human soul who receives eternal life, you'll never die. I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your soul, your heart, your mind, your essence. God gives eternal life. And eternal life lasts forever. And eternal life is experienced right now by those who know God and who know Jesus Christ. It is a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is the essence of eternal life. Because a relationship is a connection. And when the soul is connected to God, then the life of God flows from God to that soul. And that is the experience of being born again. That is the experience of walking with God. That is the Christian life that Jesus Christ has come to give us, a life abundant. I see that life in you. We experience that life together, and no one takes it away. relationships, that's what life is all about. And it starts with your relationship with God, the most foundational, the most important relationship of all. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I'd like to read for you a section here about the relationship that we have with God in the present time. How is it that we know God? How is it that we experience a relationship with Jesus Christ in the here and now? What does it look like? How is it possible? Jesus is in heaven. He's not here. How do I have a relationship with him? How do I know him? Just by reading his words in a book? That's how I know Shakespeare. That's how I know Abraham Lincoln. Is that the kind of relationship that we're talking about? No, there's more. There's more to it than just reading the words of what he said. Let's see what that is in John chapter 14, starting in verse 18. Jesus tells his disciples, and through them he speaks to you and I as well. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it? that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered him, listen carefully. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but 
the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And that's the words that are leading up to what we read moments earlier. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The relationship that we have with God the Father and with Jesus Christ is internal. God is a spirit. He has no body. He is an eternal spirit. And the spirit of God comes and dwells within our spirits through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the connection between the eternal life and the here and now, the Holy Spirit of God coming and dwelling within us. And He is in the Father, and He is in the Son, and the Father and the Son are in the Spirit. And there is this connection between us and the Trinity through the indwelling of God's Spirit. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, we love to sing it in our Awana Club on Wednesday nights, is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The kids all know it by heart. The rest of us need to make sure that we know it by heart too. The fruit of the Spirit. God dwelling in us. The Father in us. The Son in us. What does that produce? What does that relationship with God, within the soul of mankind, what does it produce? It produces love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit is produce. God grows things. It's not something that can be manufactured. It's not something that can be faked. It's real, and it's alive, and it's what God himself produces. He is the source of these things, and you can only get lasting love, genuine joy, true peace from God, from the Spirit of God that he has sent from heaven It is actually to our advantage that Jesus Christ went away. For when he went away, then he sent the Holy Spirit, and he has been Christ's presence throughout the whole world for the last 2,000 years in the hearts of every believer. The work of God has multiplied. The work of God has been manifold. The work of God has gone deeper into the hearts of all of his disciples because of his ascension and because of his pouring out of this awesome and amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment to examine ourselves. How is your love? How is your joy? How is your peace? Are you experiencing the life that Jesus Christ came to give us? How is that being manifest in your other relationships? Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with all of your family and all of your friends? Are you bringing this produce into your relationships, the love and the joy and the peace, the self-control, the gentleness that comes from God himself? (sighs) Loss of relationships is the most painful thing we experience because life is relationships. Your life consists in your relationships. Death is one of the ways that we lose a relationship. 
but there are other ways to lose relationships as well, and they are also very painful. You can't control what other people do. There's so much that's out of your control when it comes to a relationship. But what is in your control? Your attitude, your actions, your obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing in this world that you have control of. That's the one thing in this world that you have responsibility over. That's why all of the commands of God are not make other people do what they're supposed to do, but all the commands of God are do what you are supposed to do. So often we lose our relationships because we're not doing what we're supposed to do and we're trying to make other people do what we think they're supposed to do. That's the way to be lonely. That's the way to isolate yourself. That's not the way to joy. That's the way to bitterness. That's not the pathway to peace. That's the pathway to strife. Are you bringing strife into your relationships? Are you killing your relationships by trying to control the actions of others instead of controlling yourself and obeying what God has commanded you to do? Jesus doesn't want you to have the loss of joy and peace that we so often bring into our lives. So much is out of our control, but Jesus tells us, focus on what is under your control. Look at John chapter 15, verse 12. John chapter 15, verse 12 says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As the Father looks down into our households, as He looks down into our churches, as He looks down into our community, what does He want? What is His desire? He wants love. You can't make other people love, but you can set an example. You can inspire you can show the way, but only by doing what God has commanded you to do, to lay down your life for others, the way that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I've been spending a lot of time lately meditating on Colossians chapter 3, and I can't think of a better passage in the Bible to go and, and look into this fruit of the Spirit that is love, and I'd like to do that with you. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 particularly verses 12 through 17. Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, unpacks the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to love one another in such a practical and helpful way here in these verses. It's something that I think is worth committing to memory and something that we all need to be examining ourselves and being pursuing this Christ-likeness in our relationships with one another. It says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You see, you have a responsibility to put on a compassionate heart. And that means when you're not feeling compassionate, that you have to make a choice to put away the lack of compassion and to make yourself compassionate. How do you do that? Well, you might have some forgiving that you have to do. You might have to spend some time deliberately trying to empathize with those who are going through sorrow. 
you might have to discipline your mind to not focus on what the other people have done that was insensitive or hurtful or unhelpful, and instead direct your mind in a different direction. You are responsible for your thoughts, for what you dwell on, what you meditate on, what kind of mindset you're bringing into your relationships. Put it on. It's a command. God empowers you by giving you this command. Don't be the victim who sits back and say, well, I can't control it. I'm a victim of circumstances. You don't know my past. You don't know what people have done to me. That disempowers you. That makes you the victim. Don't be the victim. Be the victor. Take control of your thoughts. Take control of your actions. Take control of your words and submit them to God and his commands and his authority and you'll have joy. You'll have love. You are to put on a compassionate heart. You put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put off your pride. Put off your harshness. Stop thinking that you've done everything right and everyone else has done everything wrong. You've got to put those thoughts away. You're responsible for your thoughts. You must put on a heart of humility and meekness and patience. And notice what it says next. Bearing with one another. Are people insensitive clods? Here. You got to put up with me. I got to put up with you. That's the command. I can't make you perfect. I got to put up with you. You can't make me perfect. You want a better pastor? Pray for me. You can't control your spouse. You can't make your husband better. That's God's job. Pray to God to do what God can do. And you take responsibility to do what God has told you to do. You be a better wife. You be a better husband. You be a better son and daughter because God has empowered you to do it. Don't try to take God's place or take God's role in other people's lives. That's manipulation. That's self-idolatry. It's foolishness. It doesn't work. There's no path to peace there. You bear with one another. Notice what it says. If one has a complaint against another, there's been relationships lost this year that didn't need to be lost. Yes, we give each other reasons for complaint. That gives us the opportunity to forgive. Forgiving within our families. Forgiving within the church. Christianity is founded on forgiveness. If you choose not to forgive, you've betrayed the founding principle of Christianity. What kind of light do we give to the world when we don't forgive one another? When we hold on to hardness and hold on to that bitterness, we cut off the relationship. What if God had not forgiven you? What if he cut off the relationship? Said, you've sinned too many times. I'm done with you. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must, you must forgive. Tell yourself that. It's hard sometimes. God doesn't command you anything 
that he won't give you the power and the strength to do. And above all these, put on love. You put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We can have perfect harmony. It's walking with Christ, walking with the Spirit. If you're having trouble in your relationships, if there's disharmony, go back to Christ. Go back to God. You can't produce it. It's a fruit of the Spirit. He produces it. It's only by your relationship with God that you are going to be able to have these qualities. Spend time alone with God in prayer. Get out your Bible. Put it in front of you. And just let it minister to your heart, changing you. Don't read it and think, well, I wish my husband sure would listen to that verse. I wish my kids sure would listen to that verse. What a waste of time. God speaks to you. Develop your relationship with God. And then God will use you to minister to others. Stop blaming others for the conflict and the strife that's in your relationships. Take responsibility. Change yourself. That's all you have control over anyway. This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. Turn back to John chapter 16. So much more there in Colossians 3, but I'm out of time. John chapter 16. I'm out of time for that. I'm not out of time completely. Verse 16, John 16, verse 16. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When someone is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This brings me to my third point. God wants us to have peace. Christ wants us to have his joy, and this comes from relationships. First, the vertical relationship with God, and then secondly, the horizontal relationships, the people that God puts into your life. The third thing is, he's coming. The second coming is going to bring us the fulfillment of all of our hopes. All of our joy is going to be completed when Christ comes back. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It'll be some time before we get to that part, the joyous part of the book of Revelation. But no, the Bible ends 
with the new heavens and the new earth and all of God's family together, perfect. No more death. No more crying. No more sorrow. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Finally, our fourth point this morning. Peace and joy, loving relationships, the blessed hope, but in the meantime, Jesus tells us about the pruning. Turn back to chapter 15 once again. Look at the first two verses here in John chapter 15. He says this. He loves us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Pruning hurts. We don't like it. But it does produce fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, there's that life-giving relationship, he it is that bears much fruit, fruit of love, fruit of joy, fruit of peace. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must abide in Christ We must have that relationship to allow the life of God into our own souls so that He is able to produce what we cannot produce on our own. We are just a branch. A branch does nothing without the root. A branch does nothing without the trunk. Unless you are connected vitally to God, you will wither, you will die. You will bear no fruit. He tells us in verse 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. More love, more gentleness, more self-control, more humility, more compassion. God sees it. He sees it. More clearly than you and I see physical things, he sees these spiritual things. His desire, his loving desire is more of that in the lives of those whom he has chosen. And he is glorified when we do so. A couple more verses, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, Christianity is not so much about what you believe, but it's about who you believe. It's not just about believing certain truths or certain doctrines or signing off on some doctrinal statement, making some confession of faith, but it's about a personal relationship of trust in the God who created the world, who sent Jesus Christ, and who gave us the Holy Bible. When you put your trust in that God, And you say, Father, I have sinned against you, and I deserve death. But you, you've been compassionate, and you've sent Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I'm going to trust you to save me from my evil, from my sin, 
And when you do that, he saves you. No one who calls upon the name of the Lord and trusts in him is going to be disappointed. He's got the power. He's got the will. And so this morning, I want to end with an altar call. I've never done an altar call here before, so bear with me. There's a lot of room up here. There's a lot of you out there. You can come and kneel in front of the stage. You can kneel on the stage. Fix your eyes on the cross. If you've got business to do with God, if God's speaking to you this week, if God's speaking to you this morning, if you hear his word, you hear his voice, and he's calling you to be born again, to put your trust in him, then I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to stand up. Let's all stand up. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if while I'm praying, you want to come forward and you want to come and pray, you'll have time to do so. I'll have a time of silence in between prayers where you can confess your sin to God. If you're born again, you can come forward. You can come and you can kneel and you can pray and respond to the work that God is doing in your heart. If you need to be born again, come forward. Today is the day of salvation. It's another day God has given you to hear and to come and to respond to the one who created you and he loves you. Don't doubt his love. Don't get bitter against him. He's the only one that can make it right. Turn away from him, there's no hope. Let's pray.